Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello, and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, I have a very special guest. Now, I know I pretty much say this every time, but this is even more so than usual. His name is John Thornburg. And for those of you who know me, you'll know that uh, I only got him on the show because of the very deep personal connection that we have. We've known each other, let's see, since like the 90s, early 90s. And uh, it was back when I was an engineer working for a law firm. And John is a lawyer and he was working at the same firm. But since then he's moved on and now he's a principal at Fish and Richardson. And he's been a principal there for a very long time as well. One of the senior partners there. In fact, the longest running partner, I think, in San Diego. So he is an attorney and I'm gonna go launch right in and say, welcome John. Oh, thank you, glad to be here. Okay, so first thing is you're going to have to tell us exactly what you do. Describe your job in terms of also the nerd factor. Okay, well, I'll start with the job and then I'll, I'll say something about nerd factor. Okay. But I, I'm a patent litigator, so um, I'm the kind of lawyer that helps to enforce patents in court and defend people who get sued. Um, I'm not the kind of lawyer who goes and, and you know, tame the, tames the patents. We call those patent prosecutors. They go to the patent office and file the patents, but once people have patents, then, then I either sue people or defend people. Um, and it in, you know, involves a lot of technology. Um, I've mostly over the years worked on computer cases, both hardware and software, but I've also done all sorts of, of other things, including recently eye surgery, and I've done roller blades and you know, all sorts of different kinds of, of te te technical things. Golf? Uh, stuff too, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you would be surprised how many patents are filed on golf equipment. Um, in my experience, that all the people who worked on bombers and spaceships in the '80s moved into golf equipment in the '90s and started de de designing all of this um, super aerodynamic stuff, both the balls and the clubs. And you know, it, to me, it's sort of like if you're playing Monopoly and they they start developing. Uh, dice that roll more doubles. You know, I, I, I don't know exactly why you would do that, but you know, the golfers seem to like like <laughs> it allows them to, to shoot farther and better. Okay, so uh, about the nerd factors, the the problem is that you know the only way I can get a lawyer on the show is to do it at eight o'clock at night, and he happens to not be in his office here. We can see in the background; it's fairly plain. But if we were to be looking at your office or walking in. Describe what we would see. So uh, I, I, I'm very <laughs> proud of my office. I, I have uh, several cool things. I have a, a collection of, of tech stuff from my various cases. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I when I finish a case, I get to keep some some souvenir. Uh, you know, a, 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 a chip or something. I also have a collection of my own personal. Uh, computer relics. I have my first 386 microprocessor and my first, mm -hmm. you know, super 3D graphics card. I used to, to build my own PCs in the 90s um, and, you know, from buying parts. And so I was really into the computer parts. Um, I also have a collection of action figures. I have Iron Man and, and Batman, and <laughs> Master Chief from Halo. 
um, really into video games. Both I, we, I do a lot of cases for Microsoft uh, relating to, to Xbox. And my mm. office is also really into playing Xbox. We have a tradition of playing Halo in the office, one conference room against the other, uh, especially <laughs> in the summer for our summer employees. Oh, what a blast. Fun place to work, right? We're going to put a pitch in best places to work here at Fish if you like to uh, play games. Especially if you're good at Halo. We, we, <laughs> yeah. we would very much like you know to get your number. Cause we're always <laughs> friends. Do you ever play clients too? <laughs> Um, I haven't, I, you know, I, I, I've thought about it, but uh -huh. a little business development. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So I have a lot of questions for you and I've been wanting to ask them for you, uh, on the show because you do a, so much around technical issues, but it's all about people issues when you get down to it. And I say that because, first of all, you're working on these really complicated patents and the technology, and yet you're trying to get this across to juries to make decisions on who's right. So tell us about that. First of all, you know, what, what do you do and, and how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, just from your question, you can see why it would be hard. Uh, yeah. You know, lots of times uh, we go to trial to enforce a patent and a jury, you know, some, some of the jury will probably have a college education. Some of them will be high school education and they'll be asked to decide, you know, which PhD expert is right about, you know, some circuit design. And so, um, you know, if that sounds hard, it is, it's hard for them, but they, they tend to take it very seriously. Um, and so one of our huge jobs as the lawyers is to help, um, our expert witnesses and our, our client witnesses explain these concepts to ordinary people in a way that, you know, will make sense. Um, you know, we try to be accurate, but we try to also focus on, you know, the key, the key things that, um, you know, will decide the case and can be understood. So can you give an example? Do you have a case that, that you remember that you really got a good message across something very technical? Well, I just did one on, on, uh, power supply controllers um, you know this case is still active so I, I'll, I'll be a little bit vague because you know I don't want to make public comments about an active case but um, it involved chips and uh, you know the, the design of the chips mm -hmm. and you know the, the two competing experts testified about certain circuit paths and 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 you had to have a certain number of terminals and the terminals had to do a certain certain functions um, and so uh, you know we had you know, very technical people describing that to the jury. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other recent cases, we, you know, as I mentioned, we just did an eye surgery case. Um, we do a lot of software cases that, you know, have to involve, you know, how data structures work in the, in the software, you know, how, how the software is structured. Um, sometimes it's a little easier. It might be a user interface that everyone can see. So, you know, those cases are a little bit, you know, easier to understand. Um, but generally, you know, a lot of the cases involve, uh, you know, is the capacitor connected here? And, you know, what, what is, what is the, the, the circuit diagram? And, and, and it, you know, it gets, it gets fairly technical. Yeah, well, you know, the other thing about juries is that you don't get feedback. It's not like you're in a conversation. You could ask them, so, you know, what do you think I meant by that? You know, just to sort of make sure that they got it. You just have to hope they did, right? So how do you work with that? How do you try to have some idea of if they understand or they would understand this kind of thing. Right. I mean, that's, that's really, really hard. 
um, because juries are not generally allowed to, to, to ask questions or tell you what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the reason for that, there's a good reason for it, which is, in, in, you know, in our uh, judicial system, um, in general, we have rules of evidence. And so uh, only, you know, certain questions can be asked. And, you know, for example, you know, mm-hmm. there's the rule against hearsay. You can't say what somebody else said. You have to, you know, say what's true that you have personal knowledge of. Uh, and so you can't expect jurors to ask, you know, proper evidentiary questions. And so that's the main reason why they're not allowed to. Um, okay. Uh, there's been a few judges who have experimented with allowing jurors to write down questions and hand it to the judge, and maybe the judge will have to ask it. But in general, it's, it's up to the lawyers to um, guess what questions jurors <laughs> may be having and ask those. <laughs> Uh, oh my you know, gosh. We, it's not a complete guess. We, we, you know, we have experience with this and we do a lot of tests. I mean, we hardly ever um, go to trial without practicing in front of a mock jury. And so okay. we, we go and have trials um, and then, uh, you know, have a mock jury deliberate and we get to watch the mock jury deliberate um, either by a two-way mirror or camera. Uh, and we learn a whole lot about the kinds of issues that jurors, you know, see what you know what and what questions they have and so then mm-hmm. we can go do better at the real trial um mm-hmm. and try to answer those questions well that's interesting i mean that just sounds like basic presentation skills that if you could practice um and get some feedback ahead of time on an audience that's similar to the one that you'll be working with that's the number one way right and if you can't get interaction from the audience during the presentation Right. So it's just normal communication skills. Mm-hmm. I just that it happens to be that we are, you know, communicating a subject matter that is very alien to our audience. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not completely different with our judges either, because, you know, sometimes we have judges that do lots of patent cases. Sometimes they don't. But, you know, for in, the, in all patent cases are in federal district court, um, you know, all around the country. And the judges are generalists, you know, they're not patent judges. Mm. And, um, you know, they spend most of their lives on their criminal docket, which is, you know, their priority, um, because, you know, constitutional uh, safeguards to, you know, speedy criminal justice. Um, And so the judges spend, you know, most of their day doing criminal criminals. And then we show up and bombard them with this technical, (laughs) complicated stuff. Some of them are delighted. They think this is the most interesting thing they're going to be get, getting to do. Others hate it because we use up, you know, way too much of their resources and mm-hmm. cause them all, all sorts of troubles because, uh, you know, the, the cases are usually highly contested. The, the you know, the, the, the stakes are usually high for the parties. They usually have pretty big budgets. They fight about, you know, everything. Uh, the, they always appeal. And the, the, there is a, a specialist appellate court. It's called the, the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit in D.C. that handles all of the patent appeals. And it re- off, very often reverses. I mean, the reversal rate is, is often said to be about 50 percent. And so, you know, it's tough for the district judges because there's this significant risk of, re- of reversal if they, if, they, if they make a mistake. Well, that's interesting. So you're talking about I mean, we first ta- we're talking about communicating to juries, and now you're saying that judges are also really complicated uh, and hard to communicate with because they have different reasons. I mean, they're also just, I mean, just like normal people, they're not specialists in this technology usually. Do they have any help on their side to understand this stuff? Right, yeah. So they're, they, you know, they're obviously super smart people that are well-educated, mm-hmm. but generally not technically educated. Uh, you right. know, only once in a, in a you know, while will you get a judge who actually has a technical degree. Um, 
judges in districts that hear a lot of patent cases, you know, may make it a priority to hire a, a technically oriented law clerk. But you know, that's the exception rather than the rule. So in general, um, when we're communicating to the judge and his law clerk, um, you know, we have to assume we're communicating to a non-technical audience. So it's different than a jury, obviously, but it's sort of the same issue, which is that we have to be able to explain the technology to, you know, a non-technology person, even, you know, even though, even though you can assume they're smart. Interesting. So do you have any examples of challenges you've run into doing this? I mean, where things haven't gone so well? Or do um, you want to share those? I can, I can come up with some funny stories just to give you an example okay. of the kinds of things we occasionally have to deal with. One that sticks in my mind, we were, we were doing a, a case that involves 3D computer graphics. And for people that work in that field, uh, you, you may know that one of the earliest problems in 3D computer graphics was figuring out how to model a teapot because it has you know, complex curves. And so mm -hmm. figuring out the math to, to, to do that was, was an interesting challenge. And computer, you know, computer scientists who've done that for a long time like to talk about it. And so we had our expert uh, in a mock trial you know, explaining this history of, of 3D models of teapots. And he had a picture of it up on the screen and how you do the, the vertices and, and all that. Um, and then we get to the deliberation. We're watching the, the jurors on on, our, on camera, and, and you know one of the older jurors uh, you know speaks up and he says, you know I don't know how they were saying that they invented that teapot because my grandfather had a teapot like this, so I don't think, I don't think it was an invention. So you know we failed to communicate. You know we we learned right. something from that. Right. So they didn't invent the actual teapot, just the 3D rendering of it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. And you know, you can be misunderstood in all sorts of ways like that. And okay. so, you know, we try to learn from these experiences and, and mm -hmm. you know, so next time when we, we stand up to say, you know, you've probably seen this teapot in your kitchen. We're talking about, you know, how you, you know, do the math to draw it on a computer screen. Okay. So you learn from the experience, but that was also from the mock jury. Thank goodness. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I want to ask you about a couple other of these people challenges that come up because we have the lawyers out there who, you know, has basically spent their lives gearing up for this kind of interaction, right? That's, that is your wheelhouse, right? But you've also got these witnesses, you might say, right? The people who are the inventors or somebody working at a company that you're dealing with, they're just normal engineers, coders, scientists, inventors, you know, they're not expecting to have to go and talk to a jury or be on a stand they're expecting to design and do that kind of stuff and so what kind of things come up with them and then like how do you pick or you know get them ready to get um in inside of a courtroom yeah no, that's a really good question they are another another audience for us lawyers that um that you know we typically are working with engineers and scientists as witnesses both as client witnesses and as expert witnesses mm -hmm. um and uh, you know, some of the experts do this all the time, but but uh, for the ones that don't do it all the time and clients that haven't done it before, it's a very alien experience. You know, typically engineers are work, used to working in a, you know, an environment in which truth is binary, that the circuit is uh -huh. either correct or not correct, it either works or doesn't work, um, and the shades of gray that, that are introduced by language and, and lawyers and litigation, um, you know, are oftentimes a challenge for them. 
and and they're also challenged by how they may be treated by the other side that you know that, hmm. that they're used to being respected and you know they're trying to, to explain something and tell the truth but yet you know the other side may may look for ways to make them look bad and you know humil humiliate them and and so you know they need to be prepared uh, for how to deal with that wow so i'm hearing a couple different things here first of all is it's not be about a circuit being correct or being able to work it's about like I'm thinking of a patent like whether you infringe is it the same thing so the language issue tell us about what that means right so I you know it's very very hard to say exactly what you mean I think this is true in general and I think mm -hmm. it's you know especially true in in patents that um, you know a patent is like a, it describes the boundary of your intellectual property the way a deed describes the boundary to your yard and you know with your yard it's relatively easy to, to give specific coordinates and measurements and say it's 10 feet this way and 20 feet that way okay. um, with a patent when you're trying to describe an invention um, you know the, the language becomes harder to deal with I can give an example of a case I worked on a long time ago um, that involved uh, a net networking equipment and an external repeater interface uh, okay. A repeater is a network device that mm -hmm. takes a signal and repeats it to other other right. places. Um, and the, the issue was: is this an external interface for an internal repeater, or an external interface to an external repeater? Th this phrase, oh. "external repeater interface," in normal language, really could describe either, right? And so you have to get into the drawings and the specification and the intent, and maybe even the negotiation history between the inventor and the patent office to try to figure out what the invention really is. You know, and that's actually a relatively simple ex example. You know, a lot of times it's 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 harder than that. Um, and so, um, you know, that's an area where you know the the answer is based on the language, really, as much as the technology, and and, and it's great. You know, it's not it's not a binary uh, answer that that you know an engineer can can necessarily answer. That sounds frustrating for engineers. I mean, I know I would be as an engineer being like, but wait, this is exactly what it says. And you're saying, no, not really. I mean, right. how do you handle that? And then their frustration and, and help them understand uh, how this being correct isn't really, I mean, like it, you can look at the circuitry of your product and look at the circuitry of another product and say, oh, they're not the same or they are the same, but you're saying that doesn't really matter necessarily. Right. You, you've got to consider, I mean, we, you know, one of the trademarks of, of my firm is, you know, we, we try to win by being right, but you have mm -hmm. to pick true facts that are, you know, understandable and credible because sometimes true things that would win the case for you just aren't believable. Uh, and you, so you can't rely on them. Um, wow. For example, at one time I had a, a, a case where the patent um, required a laser and and the client was happy to tell me that his device did not have a laser it was this other kind of you know uh high energy device that was definitely not a laser and no scientist would say it's a laser but the box <laughs> had a laser warning on it there was a big government sticker on the, on the box of his product that said warning laser and i felt like well guess what you know you don't may not have a laser but no one's going to believe you we'll, we'll move on to the next defense because your box says laser oh wow yeah, so that's not even a technical defense at all. That's just the jury going, it says laser on it. What's he talking about? Yeah. Right, right. So it's, it's okay. an example, you know, he, he was probably right, but mm -hmm. no one would believe him. And so we have to, you know, we have to come up with a different argument. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we talked about the 
being right in the gray area. It's all about language. Now, so we're moving into a different area and that's something that you really have to probably educate your witnesses and experts on. But the other thing you mentioned was this, uh, I don't know, hostility factor where the other side is trying to humiliate them. Tell us more. I mean, if you have an example about something like that. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, a lot of times lawyers, especially lawyers that have a weak case, will will try to find ways to get under the, a witness's skin, irritate oh. them, make them have an emotional reaction, make them look like they're lying, even though they don't mean to be, make it look like they're contradicting themselves, even though they don't mean to be. You know, a lot of times, you know, the truth is complicated. And so it, it looks like you're, you know, being evasive. And so we have to train our witnesses to answer these kinds of questions in a very simple and straightforward way that doesn't seem defensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times, you know, when you're doing a cross-examination at trial, um, you know, we, we tell our witnesses to, you know, not fight too much. That, that you know, that, that um, a lot of times a jury will not necessarily be understanding all of the details. And, and so, but they will understand the body language. And so if you seem like you're fighting, you may seem like you're evasive, even though you're telling the truth. And, and so you, you need to avoid seeming, you know, seeming that way. Um, again, if the other lawyer is asking stupid questions and being irritating, you know, you, you don't, don't want to react. Oh, wow. So it's really being able to have sort of your stage presence and your poker face to some extent. Right. Um, I don't know, poker face sort of sounds like you're concealing something, but I'm just saying just, uh, just staying non-reactive is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, okay. simple answers like, you know, no, no, sir, I don't, I don't agree with that is, mm -hmm. is, you know, a good body language, you know, if, if you're, if you're disagreeing and don't, don't, don't mm -hmm. you know, be argumentative. Oh yeah. That's so interesting because I mean, we often think of engineers and, and folks like not being emotional, but you're saying that it can be very emotional because I guess you're being challenged, like your own um, credibility can be challenged um, as well as your opinions and, and facts that you know are wrong and that can get you angry, right? I mean, normally when someone's challenging you and you know you're right and they're needling you in a way, so it can, people, it's, it's hard for them to necessarily stay calm and you have to sort of think about how to do that ahead of time. Right. And, you know, not that they're necessarily super irritable, but if they're right. dealing with people that are trying, trying to twist their words in mm -hmm. a way that they're not used to in their normal lives, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it can be a very strange experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it can be strange in other ways, too. That You know, we, we, we usually try to make them wear a suit, you know, to go to court. Um, uh -huh. um, and, you know, some of them aren't used to doing that. It, it, you know, it's a very strange environment that, that you know, that, that the technical people that are not you know, don't wear ties, you know, forcing them to, to mm -hmm. do that. So what other kinds of things like, I mean, if you're talking to uh, engineers and, and scientists who might have patents um, that someday might be in court, what might be some things you would say to them that they might have to expect or think about being able to do? Um, things they might have to do in court, you mean? Yeah, like if you're saying, you know, if this did come to court and, and we had to call on you, you know, what might be some things that, uh, you know, these technical people, I mean, obviously they have to get, maybe they might have to get up and talk, whatever, or answer questions, but like sort of in, in terms of what they're not expecting, like how would you describe it to them as, as this foreign experience? 
Right. Well, so we, we, you know, we try to practice this too. You know, we, we, mm. we, we do practice cross examinations, you know, we subject them to the kind of adversity that they, they might experience, mm -hmm. um, whether they're getting ready to testify in court or they're getting ready to testify before trial, we have discovery and you can uh, be required to testify, you know, in a, in a business office, but maybe with a video camera pointed at you. And that's, you know, a little intimidating. Um, and so we, 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 you know, try to, to make them comfortable with that process. Um, we, you know, help them getting back to the, you know, communication part. You know, we, we also spend, you know, a, you know, lots and lots of time brainstorming, you know, how, how to explain something complicated in, right. in, in a way that's simple. Um, like what might be some techniques you would use, like examples of saying, how do you simplify it so much? I mean, right. So um, we, you know, obviously we try to use graphics. We usually have, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a good graphics artist as part of a trial mm -hmm. team. Uh, and our best graphic artists, um, you know, have done this a lot and have, you know, some technical knowledge and, and some knowledge mm -hmm. about how trials work. And so they can sit there and listen to us. And, right. and figure out what we're trying to explain and then go draw, draw us a picture and, you know, pictures is worth a thousand words. Uh, and, you know, very often, you know, that, that's, you know, very important. Um, we, yeah. uh, you know, you, you might think we try to use analogies and, you know, oftentimes in normal life an analogy is a really good way to explain something. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, occasionally they can be used to trial, but we're actually sort of careful about that because every analogy usually breaks down at some point. And so you don't really want, you know, we're very hesitant actually to use analogies in, in trial because, um, you know, they always tend to get exploded by the other side because there's something wrong with them. <laughs> um, and so you, you, you tend to not ever use one until you have the final last word and no one can, 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 can deconstruct it. Um, but, uh, and so that's that's one tool that you you know you might think we'd want to use that mm -hmm. we're actually you know try try to avoid, um, but uh, you know we tr we try to figure out you know what is the essence of you know the circuit flow you know here's some electricity coming from over here and it has to turn on this switch and power this device and this device will send the signal mm -hmm. and you know so we we step we we try to break down the, the you know the the steps and the and the pieces and. Uh, you know, make it, make it, you know, comprehensible, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe without an analogy. Okay. So the visual, just talking through like something that even a, a whatever, somebody who had no education could understand um, those kind of things. So it sounds like one of the things that, that you were saying sort of indirectly was that um, some technical people might have to, I mean, they're experts, they know that they really know what they're talking about, but it's going to take a lot of work to get that point across and to deal with people who are trying to tear them down. So there might be some humility that would be involved there of realizing that even if you do know it all, you know, thinking you right. know it all, and even if you do know it all, you're going to have to take a step back and put a lot of effort into uh, these skills and the approach to make it uh, understandable and believable by others. Yes. Yeah. yeah I think humility is very important. Huh. You know, no one likes an arrogant jerk. And so we, you know, obviously we wouldn't want our, our world renowned, you know, he may be the number one expert in the world uh -huh. on this thing, but you know, we want him to, to, or her to come across as, 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 you know, humble, uh, and, and, approachable. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you know, we, we also do want them to brag a little bit if they're really good at 
at some at something mm -hmm. um you know and, and occasionally they may not be used to doing that either you know oh interesting that, that I, I have certainly had witnesses who, who who don't like to brag about themselves and so you know we have to help them be comfortable with that also because we want them to seem impressive so there's a fine line there right gotta put them up to a certain level here but not past that otherwise yeah i mean that's uh sounds like the human nature there right um wow so um this has been really interesting do you have any other final advice that you would give to technical people around uh people skills that they might need to have to uh deal with a, a case that they might have on one of their patents i mean i i think one thing one one way i might phrase it for a lot of people is like you know if, if you have like non-technical siblings or parents you know how would you explain your work to them over dinner you know that mm. it's not it's it can be the same kind of of you know skill in terms of the explaining hopefully your your, your parents aren't going to then cross-examine you in a mean way so that, that's that's an, that's an aspect that, that, that you know they hopefully haven't experienced you know mm -hmm. but they may have they may, and it may you know if they're phds their phd examiners may have done something similar to them uh you know maybe they've had bosses that have done it but uh it's it's unlikely you know that in, in normal technical work that anyone is quite out mm -hmm. to twist their words the way an opposing lawyer might be so that's something new um, but you know, yeah. people certainly seen, seen it on TV, right? You know, everyone watches lawyer shows. So, um, yeah, I guess there's a Silicon Valley show, but other than that, it's not usually about patents. It's usually about right. serial killers and things right. like that. <laughs> That's true. But you know, a trial is a trial. And, and so yeah. in the end, uh, our mm -hmm. trials, you know, may be more technical than the ones you watch with the serial killers on TV, mm -hmm. but we're trying to tell a story. We're trying to, to, to have a human story, a human connection. Um, mm. and, and so it's not all that different. I mean, I'm not saying that lawyer shows on TV are super accurate. That's one reason I actually don't like them is because you know, the rules <laughs> of evidence go out the window and they're not very accurate. But the, 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 the idea that a lawyer will twist your words, you certainly see that on TV. Yeah. Well, I love what you said too about telling a story. I mean, that's a whole nother aspect of the communication factor of uh, getting it out there that's um, something that people can sort of take away and understand the whole process, not just a specific element of it as well. Huh. You just make me think of a story back when I was an electrical engineer, I was a hardware engineer and I was designing circuitry and I, I guess made the mistake of explaining it in a little bit too much detail to my father, who is not a technical person. Um, he as a journalist, so he's much more into English and, and the language factor, right? But one day he came back and he said, oh, I was just telling my friend, you know, so-and-so that you work with Gates. <laughs> I was like, well, people who are engineers, you know, know that there's a logic Gates and everything. But I was like, that's okay, dad. You know, but I was like, <laughs> I didn't really quite get the point across about what I really do. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's hard. Um, and thinking about how you would get it in a, a way that it might take several tries to get it to a point where they have the story of what it is you're doing or what, what you made when you invented something. Right. That it was so important. I mean, you're talking about some of the things you do are pretty esoteric too, like your uh, uh, little aspects of this thing, but it's really important. And without it, you know, your computers might not work this way or the power in your house, you know, it might burn down or something like that. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so interesting. 
Okay. Well, thank you. This has been really special. I think it's been so interesting to learn about this other side of technology and something that people, uh, our nerd contingent might end up getting involved with if they ever have patents or even if they don't have them, but they're engaged in companies that do have them or it's not even just patents too, right? You do other things, trademarks and do you do trademarks, copyrights? Yes, my firm does. I, I have mostly done patents over the years. I've done some trade secrets, which are, you know, another kind right. of intellectual property right. where you just keep a secret rather than filing a patent. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, copyrights have become less important for computer software over the years, unless someone is literally ripping you off and, you know, copying uh -huh. your, 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 uh -huh. your code, but they, they still play a role as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it might not even be that you have this patent. It might be that you design something else completely unique and somebody else says, oh, no, I have a patent on what you did. And so, you know, it could be anyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So interesting things to consider when you have to use those people skills in other ways, just not in your everyday line of work. So thank you, John, for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. It's my pleasure. I love being a nerd. This is fun. <laughs> Great. And thanks to our listeners and our viewers. We're here at reinventingnerds.com. Come subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit reinventingnerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.